Welcome to Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about how we can live healthier, happier, and more fulfilled lives. And now, here's the host of the show, Dr. Michelle Choi. Hello. I hope that you've all been enjoying your summers, and thank you for tuning into my podcast, Lost or Found. We have a great show today as Monica Martinez talks about her experiences fostering and adopting children. It's been really nice to enjoy the East Coast, the New England beaches, and the warmer Atlantic Ocean from these parts. Cape Cod, the sandy peninsula of glacial origin, is located in southeastern Massachusetts and extends 65 miles into the Atlantic Ocean. We've been staying in a little 580-square-foot beach cottage originally built in the 1930s, and although it's tight at times for a family of four, I've been loving it. All of us sort of on top of each other, trying to utilize every square foot of space until we can't take it anymore and go outside. I find it very charming here. I'd like to note that the bathroom sink, however, is the smallest sink I've ever seen. My kids don't seem to notice. But as a full-grown adult, you have to fit your face into the space between the protruding medicine cabinet above and the sink below, whose length is about the length of my face. And then when you're done, carefully edge your face and body out so that you don't injure yourself. As long as you can still bend, it's no problem. (laughs) But I think it's a small price to pay for the loveliness of everything else. The breeze inside the cottage at night is so nice because you're literally sleeping at the window because, well, everything is really tight. Plus, there's good space around the toilet. And, well, that's what matters. There's no need for side-sitting. It's so remarkable to see so much rain on the East Coast. At times torrential, the rain has been frequent this summer. That's the very thing we need the most on the West Coast, and hopefully it will be possible this year. Everything is so lush and green here. In the shower, you don't have to be so worried about how much water you're using. The pressure is so wonderful. Perhaps this is what summer vacation is, where you feel like you're kind of dirty every day from the things you do. On vacation, the idea of going into a porta potty is not that bad because you know you're going to jump into the ocean. Or you always have a film of dirt or sand on you, and well, that's okay. And what if a niece with a lot of chocolate on her mouth comes to give you a hug? That's cool, because you'll likely go into the pool later. I'm embracing living dirty. There's a national seashore on one side of the Cape, where you can sense the power of the Atlantic Ocean, its stunning beauty, and the miles of sandy cliff. The large, colorful, smooth pebbles broaden from the strength of the ocean and the waves. And on the other side of this peninsula, you have the bay, where the water is very calm and placid and warmer. You have to get your timing right, because when the tide is low, the water will be out for miles. It's incredible how far you can walk out into the water, because it's only a couple of inches high. And because it's not usual to be so far out in what is actually bay, your mind wonders if you really can do that. And well, you can. It's peaceful and at the same time, amazing. When I envision what an East Coast beach is to me, I think of the Bayside beaches at the Cape, with the surrounding cottages and the idyllic beauty surrounding the calm water that always moves. 
It's remarkable to me that the water is always moving, that high tides and low tides occur, and they're caused by the moon and its gravitational pull. Where the water will bulge on the side closest to the moon and on the side farthest from the moon. When the water goes out, it's momentarily a different place, where you see the bright green of the beach grass growing from the sand dunes, about two to three feet tall. My daughter and her cousin think it's a fun hiding place and an interesting place to explore. The bay flora is revealed to you briefly before the water returns. You can see the white shells, the empty crab shells, the mussels and the clams that were growing. And you see the little hermit crabs walking along the beach, living in the empty scavenge shells. It's definitely one of my favorite places as we spend time with our extended family. And on today's show, I welcome Monica Martinez. She is Chief Executive Officer of Encompass Community Services, Santa Cruz County's largest nonprofit health and human services, where she provides vision for large-scale change at the local level. Monica is a community champion with a reputation for using evidence-based, outcome-driven strategies to achieve results. She believes our most basic human right to live healthy lives is intrinsically tied to dignity, equity, and opportunity for all people. She and her wife live in the Santa Cruz Mountains with her adopted and foster children, and today she shares her experiences with us as a foster parent. Hello, Monica Martinez. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to Lost or Found. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. And you know, before we begin, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, my name's Monica. I live in the Santa Cruz Mountains with my family, uh, my uh, wife, Jen, and two children who are currently in our care. I'm sure we'll talk about them in a little bit. And I'm also the CEO of a large health and human services nonprofit here in Santa Cruz County. Wonderful. And what's the name of your organization? It's called Encompass Community Services. Um, It's a large behavioral health, housing, early childhood development organization. You know, we really serve the whole family, the whole whole individual, and um, provide a lot of important services throughout our county. I've been doing this job for about seven years. How beautiful. And may I ask you, how did you make the decision to become a foster parent? Well, you know, I knew my whole life that I wanted to become a parent. And I think, um, you know, being somebody who's in a same-sex relationship, you know, it doesn't happen in the same sort of natural ways that it might happen for heterosexual relationship. And as I started to really explore those options, you know, I just found that um, there are so many children in this world who, who need a safe and loving home. And just given, you know, both my professional experience and also just the, the love that I felt Jen and I had to give, we really felt like, like this was the right fit for us. Mm-hmm. How wonderful. And how do you think one knows if like becoming a foster parent is like right for you or right for them? Yeah, you know, I start by saying that, you know, being a foster parent really, it's, it's not for everybody. Um, But if you have the space and if you have the capacity to open your home and open your heart, it's a journey that's really worthwhile. And I have found that it's been the most rewarding thing that I could ever imagine. Um, You know, 
we went into becoming foster family with the intention of adoption. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we had the the goal to build our family through permanency, and really had a lot of fear around um, what would happen if we chose to foster a child and they weren't able to stay with us. And throughout our journey as foster parents, our perspective and our understanding of what's needed and what it takes from us has really changed. And and we've really grown and we've we've learned and and we've shifted our perspective and and we found that the role of being a foster parent really isn't to to meet your own family goals you know it's not about like here's what what I want my family to look like and here's the ideal child and here's the ideal timing and here's you know how our family is going to be perfect it's not about us it's about the child and it's a system that often isn't set up to be child centric but it should be and there are children who really need adults to meet them where they are and and support their best needs, whatever that is. And that may be permanency in your home forever, and maybe it's not. And, and we've learned through the variety of children who have come into our home that that for some of them, staying with us wasn't the right route for them. You know, they had mm-hmm. loving parents, loving relatives who were perfectly able to to support them and they needed to be in those homes and so and so our i guess you could say our goals of being foster parents have really changed and um and i feel really now um just really different about what it means to be a foster parent and what it means to to build our family through through foster and adoption yeah what does it mean to be a foster parent yeah, you know, so if you choose to become a foster parent, you, um, you know, with the goal of adoption, you start doing something that's called concurrent planning. So, you know, you become licensed, you go through a variety of classes, you know, pretty invasive interviews, lots of um, approvals and whatnot. You get your license and um, and then you start receiving calls about children who need a safe, loving home, right? They might be children within a certain criteria that you're looking for age or, um, you know, number of children, right? There's a lot of sibling sets out there. Um, But then, you know, when you say yes to a child and they come into your home, um, you, you become, at least in the state of California, you become what's considered their, their concurrent placement, which mm-hmm. means that you are simultaneously providing them with a temporary um, support and, and a foster home, and you are supporting that child in the reunification process with their biological parents that they can't be with at the time, while also knowing that you could be their, their permanent or their adoptive plan if their reunification plan doesn't work out. And, and I think that's, um, that's the challenging space for a lot of foster and adoptive families to hold um, is that you, you have to do both. And, and what I have found is that the, the best way to do that is by just loving those children. Um, they should never know that they're a maybe <laughs> forever in your home. They should never feel like you're holding back anything um, because these children deserve to feel like they're everything to somebody. And they're in predicaments that, that they don't deserve. Um, they, they have lost attachment. They've lost relationships. They, they experience a lot of trauma and grief. And, and really, it's, it's our job to meet them where they are, like I said, to listen to them 
and and to support them. And uh, if the goal continues to be permanency, and if if you know we have found if we're fortunate enough to be able to to move towards adoption, then fantastic. Um, but if we're able to just provide that child with a healing and supportive and loving space for a period of time, months, um, you know, years, then then that's what we can give. And and I think that's um, I don't know. I think that I think that's what it means to become a foster parent, and um, and I really hope that a lot more people will consider it if they if they have the space in their home and the flexibility in their life to do something like that. Wow, Monica! Like what you say is so powerful. Like you know what you say. Like a child should never feel like they're a maybe. I think that's that's so true. It's so powerful. And the fact that you're providing a safe place for a child, you, you don't know what the long-term plan is, but the, the fact that a moment in their lives that they need a safe place and you're, you and your wife are providing that for them. I think that's so beautiful. You know, if the, the priority in foster care is to reconnect them with their parents then, right? Their, what you were mm-hmm. saying, reunification. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I could talk a little bit about the foster care system, if that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, um, over you know the course of of many years, an entire industry and system has been built up around child welfare, and it's the idea that you know there are some families and some homes that children are born into where. Um, you know, their parents aren't able to keep them safe. And there's some kind of allegation of abuse and neglect. And then generally, at least in the state of California, um, the county's responsibility is to investigate that claim. And to, if they can substantiate, substantiate the allegations, then to remove the child and place them into a safe place. And then to immediately start um, the process of seeing what what they can do to support that family. So that way they can reunify with their child. You know, the the beginning goal is to ensure that families stay intact and stay together. Um, I should note that just through the history of the development of the foster care system, you know, unfortunately, it does really disproportionately impact families of color. Um, There's just so much sort of systemic bias and, and racism that's been built into the system that there are many, many more children who are removed um, from, from families of people of color. And, um, and that's one of those um, systems and, and biases that I hope c- can change with a lot of um, racial equity work that, that's happening, I know, here locally in our community and in a lot of um, states across the country. I think that's really positive. Um, but, but really, in, in the long run for, for these systems, the goal is to either connect the child back with their biological um, parents and if they can't, then connect them with a biological relative, because mm-hmm. what, um, you know, data has really showed is that a, a child who is able to maintain connections or relationships with uh, aunts, siblings, grandparents, you know, they really grow up with a, with a strong and positive self-identity. And when you remove a child and you place them into a, an adoptive home, you know, there, there's something that's missing for those kids, you know, into the future. And so, um, you know, we recognize with the, the the child that we've adopted and maybe future children that we may adopt, that that's something that we have to really continue to bring forward and be eyes wide open about um, because we want to ensure that they have a really uh, 
positive understanding of their own cultures, of their own histories. Um, we, we try to, to maintain relationships that are um, you know, kind of the, the biological relationships of our children. Their daughter, for example, um, has a really positive relationship with her biological siblings that are in another home with her maternal grandma. Um, and so, so really our job is to, to help to keep that connection because um, somewhere along the line, you know, in, in her case and in a lot of kids' cases, you know, they're not able to make that reunification or not able to place with a relative. And so when children are in, um, you know, an adoptive home, like keeping that that connection is just really important. You know, in regards to, I guess, you know, a lot of these children are, came from homes of neglect or abuse. How do you deal with your children's trauma that they bring with them? Yeah. I mean, I say being a parent isn't easy. Uh, being a parent of any child isn't easy, right? Um, so then being a, a parent of a child who has experienced trauma, you know, it's, it has a lot of um, challenges. And I'll say that the, the way that a lot of parenting happens in the United States and a lot of Western cultures doesn't often support the type of healing that a child who's experienced trauma needs. Um, you know, I think that we we live in a culture that has a lot of sort of repercussions or sort of, you know, tough love or, you know, punishment if you if you do something bad. And and children who've experienced trauma, you know, they're working through so much. Um, and and that shows up in their behaviors, right? I think um I know you, Michelle, are, are really familiar with the impact of early childhood trauma and how that impacts the nervous system and how um, really like the, the overactive fight or flight system mm-hmm. in these children, you know, has could have a long term permanent impact on on their lives. And so as a as a parent, our job is to not trigger that, <laughs> you know, um, and and so it means that, you know, when a, a child has a complete meltdown, you know, whatever it might be, something, something impacted them, they're frustrated, they don't know how to communicate well, you know, they just scream, you know, the last thing that, that they need is, is something that, that looks like rejection, you know, like Mm -hmm. something like go to your room or, you know, you can't do that there, here, or like those big feelings that that's, that makes me uncomfortable. You can't do that. Stop. You know, they, they need acceptance and they need us to sit next to them and stay close and and let them feel safe with those big feelings and um and and we've experienced that a lot with with many of the children in our home and we've learned that over time um those symptoms of trauma really start to to reduce you know um the the number of tantrums a day start to go down you know their their sense of safety and security starts to increase and and we've found that, you know, we, we've watched children really heal and blossom in our home because their nervous system has had time to just settle down and they, mm-hmm. they start to feel feel stable and secure. Um, but we also know that that it's going to be a lifelong journey. Um, our, our children, you know, they may be in a good phase right now. You know, our daughter's seven, you know, she, yeah, she's, she's doing well. I mean, we expect fully expect that when she becomes a teenager, you know, um, things will reemerge because that, that grief and loss will always be there for her. And, and it's our job to, to meet her where she is, no matter what phase she's in and support her, her continued 
you know, development, growth, and and identity. So so she can grow into a, a healthy, strong adult, which I know she will. She's wonderful. Yeah. I think what you say is so true because, you know, I think even in like biological families, there is so much trauma, but you don't talk about that trauma. And oftentimes you don't know that was trauma until you're older. And I think foster children, they know from early on that that wasn't right. You know, they were taken away from their home. But it's definitely something that, you know, many encounter. Don't you think? Like, it's just like, unfortunately, they're, they're, you know, society forced them to be honest about it from early on. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. Think, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and it's also fortunate. You know, I think... Um, 30 years ago, adoption was something that was really secret. Like, you know, you hear mm-hmm. these stories of people who grow up, they turn 18 and they realize that they were adopted and like nobody told them, you know, like that's so not cool, you know? And so yeah. I think now like in just the science and the training of becoming a foster family, like we just recognize that like, you've got to talk about these things. You've got to um, be honest in an age appropriate way. You know, you've got to help the child ask questions. You've got to give them words to their story. And, and, and that's how they're going to heal and grow. It's and I think so that's, that's something that actually could benefit. Like you said, a, a fam, any biological family, like, you know, giving words, giving space, um, giving acceptance and love, even when it's not pretty like that that's what families need that's what children need no matter where you came from yeah that's what all of us need and like how many of us would have benefited from naming our feelings right like from so early on I thought that was so profound what you said you know that even when your children were throwing tantrums you know it you 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 didn't leave them like you were there, you were with them, you have to like ride it out with them, you know, like, because how many times do we send our children away? And that's the last thing they need. Yeah, as a foster child. Yeah, as a child who's been, you know, whether it's real or perceived, this idea of rejection, right? You know, I, I, there, some relationship was broken so deeply, whether it's when they were an infant, or when they were three or five or seven, or whatever it is, they had such a a broken um, core attachment and core relationship. And so they're just looking for other adults to perpetuate that same behavior, right? So so if they're in our home and they <laughs> throw something very important to me off the deck, <laughs> for example, <laughs> you know, although my head is like exploding, you know, sending that child away just reinforces to them, this parent can't be trusted. This parent, you know, I do something bad. It's, you know, children are so egocentric. Like I've done something wrong. I did something wrong in my biological family. Now I'm here. Now I've done something wrong again. Now I'm sent away. Like adults can't be trusted. And we know that like a a strong, healthy attachment to an adult and, you know, strong bond to an adult, like that is core to the development of a child. Like a child can't meet their other developmental milestones unless they have that trusting relationship to co-regulate with and to grow with and to just feel safe. And so despite the fact <laughs> that things are flying off the deck, you know, I've got to keep my cool and and not let that f- child feel like, you know, their place in our home is in question because of their behaviors. Absolutely. 
You know, did your ch- children allow for you to like comfort them initially when they came into your home? Yeah, you know, it really depended on the child. Um, you know, one of our kids didn't know how to give a hug. You know, like we would reach out and they would like turn their back to us and kind of like back back their way in. Um, but they they had had so little um affection throughout their life to that point that they didn't even know what we were doing. And so we don't push it. How old were they? How old were they? They were almost five, almost five and didn't, didn't know how to give or receive affection because that's not something that they could count on in the home that they lived in. And, um, they, you know, just you know lack of comfort in in a in a bed lack of comfort in a safe space um you know lack of um belief that food is going to keep coming and so there was a lot of like kind of uh food insecurity behaviors like eating 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 not knowing when to stop or like kind of food hoarding and hiding like i need this i need to save this for later like a lot of those behaviors that that show up for a child, you know, out of survival, because as when they were in their, in their previous home, um, they couldn't keep them safe. They couldn't meet their basic needs. You know, they, they developed those skills. And so like that stress mode living in the stress mode. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is just, you know, a lot for a tiny little developing body and brain to to handle as you can imagine. And so, so what we found is just like, you know, um, in the in the affection side, you know, we didn't just try to like, oh, we're going to smother you with hugs because that's also not what that child wanted or needed, right? It's just like a slow connection, watching us give hugs, hugs to other children, watching us be affectionate with each other, watching us, you know, creating a mm-hmm. safe and welcoming space. Now this child is like the biggest cuddle bug. Like you cannot get them off the couch <laughs> if you're cuddling with them, you know, it's just like cuddles all the time. And and so that feels like a big, a big um, point of healing and, and a big success. Uh, same thing with food, you know, like we're finally at a place where that child is, you know, leaving food on their plates and, you know, actually getting picky about eating, which, you know, <laughs> is also mm-hmm. a whole other thing, but, you know, that's a normal child behavior is to be picky. And so, you know, that's, that's a, um, it's almost like a privilege if you had food insecurity to be able to say, oh, I like this and I don't like that. And, yeah. um, and so we're really, you know, feeling like there's been a lot of success. The things that we take for granted, you know, because we're in a safe place. I think it's so interesting about like adverse childhood experiences because, I mean, many of us are like messed up in our adult lives because of adverse childhood experiences. And I think with a child, you know, a lot of children internalize it and they think it's because of them not knowing that it was the adults around them, that they were the vulnerable ones, you know. And I think really early on, like uh, children can blame it on themselves when it wasn't them, you know. Right, right. Absolutely. And then, you know, if so I'm a huge believer in like early childhood prevention, early childhood development, you know, this is the work I do professionally, but it's also Mm -hmm. the work I do in my home. So so I'm a true believer that, you know, with the right interventions and the right supports, you know, you can completely change the trajectory of, of a child's life. And um, and the earlier you start, the better, right? You know, you hear about all the kind of zero to five, zero to three activities. That's great. Like you could truly like hit reset on the developing brain when they're that young. But I also believe that 
as they as people get older, teenagers, young adults, and even, you know, our age, Michelle, I think that, you know, we, we have certain patterns and our brain functions in a certain way, but with the right supports and interventions, like we can overcome the really difficult experiences that shaped who we are and become better people. Like I'm a big believer in the possibility of change <laughs> with the right yeah. supports. Yeah. That change can always happen. And I think mm-hmm. the earlier, the better. Yeah. That's absolutely, absolutely. true. You know, Monica, I really have like a legitimate question for you. Like, I think patience is so hard and you really strike me as a person who really has a lot of patience. Like, how did you not lose your shit? Like, even when (laughs) something you value is going off like the the deck, like, how do you not lose your shit? Like, yeah. Um, Where do you seek that power? That's really funny. Well, one, I want to remind you that no one's perfect, so it's not always pretty, right? Uh, (laughs) I always have to be humble. Um, But I also just, you know, have have done just even just the tiniest bit of like mindfulness practices and mindfulness exercises and really just having awareness of my reactions and, um, you know, my own breath when I can feel like the heat rise and in, inside of me. <laughs> like I said, I'm not perfect. I can't always manage it. And sometimes, you know, with your family is when you're the worst, you know, I'm way better professionally. But, um, you know, it's, it's just taking that breath, just taking a step back and um, having the space to, 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 to consider your your response before you do that response and and I think that's the space where you can really change that response and um and with children you know any child but especially children uh, who are in your home through foster care you know you can't personalize it like it's not about mm-hmm. me and um and those behaviors are are coming from such a deep place for them and so you know not to get wrapped up in like the 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 trauma and the crisis that that child is experiencing, but instead be that stable, steady rock for them that's always there and allows them to move through their feelings um, in the way that they need to to process their trauma and um, and just you know be calm and stay there and then think- have <laughs> a night out with friends when you need to or whatever. <laughs> You know, self-care is so important. And I think it's wonderful that you bring it up. Do you feel like you were emotionally supported as well as a foster parent? Because that's a big dramatic change to make in your life. Like as you get to know this unique child and you're you're understanding who you are as a new parent. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so such a journey the last number of years, Um, you know, we've only been foster and adoptive parents. We, it's, we're not, unlike a lot of other families, like we don't have our own biological children. So our first foster pl- placement was our first day of being a parent, right? And that with that comes so much um, joy and just uncertainty. And, um, you know, you're, the, even the chemicals in your brain change because you're feeling love and attachment in a different way. And so, um, and so and you're also stressed as a new parent, you know, like... Exactly. The same, the same, you know, lack of sleep, the worries, the stress, the like total insecurity. Am I doing the right thing? Um, And I think that as a, as a foster parent, you know, you're building your family in such a a way that's so different than societal norms that, you know, sometimes, sometimes that was difficult to, to get and find the support that we needed. Um, We, 
are really fortunate that we both have like loving families that embraced our children as if they'd been there forever. And if, as if mm-hmm. they're staying forever, we've, we've always had that. And we've worked really hard to develop a, a community of friends who are also able to, to move through that journey with us. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very different when you're the family that, you know, one day we have a, a two and a half year old, the next day we're carrying you know, an infant. And then three months later, the infant's no longer in our home. <laughs> and, you know, like how, you know, how, how does the, the kind of common person, whether it's my coworker at work or like mm-hmm. our neighbors, like how do they interact when there's so much transition happening in a family unit? Um, you know, I think, I think that that's hard. And, and so, you know, one of my goals is to really help educate people about, uh, foster families and and that families really look a lot of different ways and to help folks um, you know learn to accept that you know families come in all shapes and sizes and you know I was on that journey early you know of course being in a same-sex relationship but you know now with just the the variety of children that we've brought home and um, some f- for a short period of time some forever hopefully um, that um, you know, it's all about acceptance and it's all about love and, um, and really love is what makes a family in the long run. I love that. And I think that's so beautiful. Families do comes in all shapes and sizes and colors, you know, mm-hmm. no one can really Absolutely. say. And I think, I think that's like the burden that society tries to put on us, but I think that's what kind of boxes you in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. the unfortunate. So what have been the challenges for you in caring? I mean, I'm sorry, let me ask you, how do you deal with like the heartbreak when you have to send a child home to their biological parent? I could tell you, Michelle, it never gets easier. You know, um, we fall in love with these children as we should, like our job is to love, love, love. And so we don't hold back. And And we've had several children now that we just, they fit in our family, you know, they, we watch them heal and recover and, you know, really get to a place of thriving. And then, you know, due to the, the place where they were in their case and the, the circumstances of, of where they came from, they moved on to, to back to whether it's relatives or biological family. And each time it is just so painful it's it's a grief and it's a loss um we and each time I'm like I'm never doing this again <laughs> like this is the dumbest idea whose idea was this <laughs> you know like I just like you know um I don't know if you have ever just been waiting for like an important email or something and you just can't stop checking your phone like completely obsessed and and that's how these information comes you know there's like a court date and like are we gonna hear from the social worker today or maybe mm. she's on vacation we'll hear for her for next week like we don't always know what's gonna happen and just like that that anxiety of of waiting and not knowing like it's it's huge and um and I and I don't want to sugarcoat it because like it doesn't get easier um but it's 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 the um burden that we carry for these children so that way they don't have to carry it themselves right it's the it's we're the adults in the room right we we are the ones who who should be supporting and loving these children so that they can just feel loved and stable and, and, and not have to worry. And so, and so that's what we do. And, and we put our hearts out there 
and we love, 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 and we get them to all their appointments and they've got visits, you know, weekly and they've got appointments all around the county and court dates. And, you know, we, we, we do what we need to do, um, you know, so, so that we can help them to, to heal and to recover and to, and to get strong. And so, you know, I, I don't know what to say about the, the heartbreak, you know, it, it, it doesn't get easier. Um, I still like, you know, I get those updates on my phone, like two years ago mm. today. And I just like, look at them like, Oh my gosh, I miss that little one so much. Oh, but you mean like when the still, pictures show up on the your The picture phone. shows up. Yeah. Mm. And I see them and, you know, we're all so happy together and it just like my heart breaks again. And that's, that's real. That's grief. And that'll always be there, you know? Um, but you know, it's, I also feel really good about um, where those children went. Um, for for most of them, we've been able to stay in contact. You know, just you know, last month we got a surprise FaceTime from from one little guy. You know, he's like three year old, three years old now. He came to us as an infant. Uh, we had him for several months, and we've stayed in touch with him and his biological dad. And he gets on there, and he's like, "What up, you guys?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> You know, he's like, he's growing and he's so cute. He's just adorable. But like, we we know he's doing well. We know he's where he needs to be. Um, And so we can feel really proud that just for that little period of time in his life, he, we were able to, you know, support him and support his dad. And, um, and, you know, that's one of the greatest, I don't know, gifts and joys that I have personally from, from this is just knowing that that we were able to provide that. And, and so I don't regret it. You know, I don't regret yeah. saying yes to the, to the child that didn't stay. And, um, and, you know, we've honestly, we've said yes to, to children who now just are staying, you know, and I mean, s- said yes to children who we didn't think were going to stay that now it looks like they could stay. And I think that's, um, you know, it's a really uncertain journey. And, um, and we, just like everything else in parenting, you have no control <laughs> at the end of the day. You really, you know, you, you can't control and have a, a very strict agenda um, about how things are going to turn out. And and I think we've we've learned to adapt in those ways. And, and that's how, how we've navigated this as a family. Yeah. You know, I've always admired your family. I've always admired you and your wife because you really give like the biggest gift of all to whomever, you know, like the gift of love. I think nothing is bigger than the gift of love. And no matter at what cost, right? Because many of us, I don't know if we can really handle when that, when the idea of that love being taken away and you're aware of it, but you still give it, you're like all in. I think that's so remarkable. And I think that's so profound and beautiful. Thanks, Michelle. You guys are like Buddha. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> human <laughs> Buddha average day. No, no. Um, you know, it's it's it sounds it sounds lovely. You know, but we're also human, just like everybody else. You know, yeah. but Jen to and I know, bigger. you know. <laughs> but I think to know that that love can be taken. I mean, I I think to know that that person can be taken away at any moment, but you still give all of yourself. I think that's tremendous, and I think not many of us know how to do that. Yeah, but I think you do, because I think you do that every day with all the relationships that you have. Like, none none of us know how long we're here, how long the people around us that we love are here. You know, by giving love, you know that you're going to experience loss, right? 
Um, you know, the foster care system happens to be a system that has a lot of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but every day, you know, we we open ourselves up and we make choices to let people in. And and I think that's, you know, it's it's so rewarding. And I yeah. think about if if we had had chosen not to. So say we um, took the class and in the classes, they tell you, you know, there's no certainty. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if Jen and I would have driven away from that class that night and been like, you know, I don't think we have it in us. We're too scared. Then we wouldn't have our sweet daughter, you know, who's like, who means everything to me. She's, she's the light of my world. Right. And she looks and... so much like you both. <laughs> I know, isn't it's that crazy? like the craziest thing about energy. She looks like your love child, like literally physically, you know, <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah I mean it is odd she also you know she fits right in um but you know like had we been afraid to open our hearts she wouldn't be in our life and yeah. um wow you know that how heartbreaking is that to think about so you know it's it's been such a journey um and you know, I'm sure I'll look back on this time and be like, oh, my God, that was so stressful. It took 10 years off my life <laughs> because it also is very stressful. Um, but it's it's been so rewarding. I mean, just like just like being a parent is, as you know, Michelle, it's it's hard, but it's it's rewarding. Overall, overall, <laughs> <Yeah>. overall. <laughs> you know, but sometimes like, you know, is it a process then, Jen? I mean, is it a process, Monica? Sorry, I called you your wife's name. Okay. Is it a process because, you know, with like uncertainty, sometimes that can present itself as stress. Was it like a process for you to like come to terms with that uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, it was a process that we did not know we were undergoing, to be honest. We we were so naive when we fell in love with our first daughter. Like when I look back now at like how, like we fell in love with her so much and like, and we are, and we, I feel extremely fortunate that we were able to adopt her. Um, It wasn't until the second child came that he was the first one who didn't stay with us. Mm -hmm. And we, how long did he stay with you? He was with us for about four months. But, you know, we picked him up from the NICU. We, like, filled our home with baby stuff. We had, you know, our whole life turned upside down to just support this infant. You know, we we were a family. Like, we, and then, you know, we, we discovered that he had a biological fa- father who didn't know he existed, who was totally equipped to take care of him, as well as a bunch of, you know, his grandparents and you know, a whole support. And so, um, so, so this is the same child that I told you that, that, that FaceTimed us, you know, and, <laughs> and we, um, and, and I think that was when we really discovered the uncertainty and the, the pain of not knowing and kind of like each meeting that happens being like, oh my goodness, like this might happen. Like what, we didn't sign up for this. We did, of course, Michelle, if you sign mm-hmm. up to be a foster parent, you do sign up for the, the very likelihood that, some children might not stay with you. Right. Um, but like we went through all the stages of grief, all the, you know, denial and just, you know, fear and sadness and anger. Um, and, you know, and of course, like I said, it was a happy ending at the end. And, and I think that we've matured since that time. Right. So we've had other children who had, you know, kind of similar paths. We've that have stayed with us longer and, and haven't been able to stay with us. And, and I think that's where we, we're just a lot more um, 
streetwise, maybe <laughs> when it comes mm-hmm. to like the likelihood of how a case is going to work out. Like we've learned that when you get that first phone call, like only believe like a fraction of what it is that you hear because you know the social workers they're doing their best but like i mean i swear even like we've had kids their name wasn't even right by the time we said yes to them like you know like they you know there's they tell you they there's no family but there is they tell you you know there's you know these issues but those issues don't actually exist like there is just it's not the social workers fault but like there's so much information being gathered at the same time it's like ellis island you know child's name and background gets completely changed in the process of them entering the system and um and so now we just kind of know like you know well we heard this but this is what that could mean. And, you know, they're at this point in the court case, which means all these other factors can happen. You know, we've been told, like, this is a slam dunk. You're going to get to adopt this kid. And then next thing you know, that's not going to happen at all. We've been told this child is does not need an adoptive home. Can you just keep them for a little while? And then that child's, <laughs> like, staying. You know? <laughs> so, like, we just have to be flexible. <laughs> it changes you. It does. Yeah, it does. And we are, we feel like, um, I guess streetwise is a good way to call it. We feel like we, we now have quite a bit of maturity and, um, and it doesn't mean that it's less hard or less heartbreaking, but at least we're, we're used to the surprises. Let's put it that way. So what do you think now when like a former child who had stayed with you, their picture shows up on your, on your feed, what do you think in your head then? It's just, I mean, I just, I, all the feelings, right? I love them. Um, I miss them. I wonder how they're doing. Um, you know, I, I can feel um, hopeful and positive for their future. You know, um, you know, I, I try to remain optimistic about their possibilities. And, um, you know, it kind of, it kind of varies. We've, we've had some different situations where the kids ended up going and, and some we've been able to stay in touch with and some we haven't. And, you know, we worry, you know, yeah. and we pick up the phone, man, if they needed us again, we of course would say yes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we just, we just send them our love, you know? You know, our girls went to the same preschool and, you know, one during one of the meetings, a teacher was saying, Oh, you know, they'll forget us, you know, when, as they get older, But I thought about that statement a lot more because, you know, teachers have such a positive impact on our children or they can. And I really think even if we don't remember their faces or names necessarily, it's something that we someone else's essence and their their impact on our lives is something that we carry for the rest of our lives, whether we truly remember it or not. And I can't help but wonder if those children will always carry you and your wife in their hearts, you know. Yeah, yeah, we, we hope so. And, and yeah, Michelle, I remember the teacher saying that exact same thing, which is kind of sad. I'm like, oh my gosh, but my child had yeah. such a great time at that school. <laughs> like that was like her everything for so many years. Um, but, you know, I think that like everything you do with small children while their brains are developing impacts who they become. You know, if you're a baby and you're crying and nobody comes, that changes who that baby becomes because they they don't learn they they've learned maybe 
other types of self-soothing or they don't and they don't learn to count on adult right like that the, mm. even in the the youngest babies they they know they learn if i cry somebody's going to come and somebody's going to pick me up right that's yeah. foundational into you know as they grow into teenagers and into adults right and so while they may or may not um know our names or you know depending on kind of where they went if that family reinforces what this experience was like for those months in their life you know we we can't control that but we do know that somebody always picked up that baby when they were with us and you know somebody always came when that toddler cried or you know um and and I think that that's that's meaningful yeah and I think love is so healing and I think you both, you know, providing a safe place for these children when they need it. It's, you know, you're quieting the the fight or flight response. And when you quiet that, like the the relaxation takes in and that's when you, you can really, truly heal. And I think it's like their bodies remember, you know, and I think it's just such a beautiful gift. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Bodies do remember. Bodies do remember, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I think that's part of the problem, right? Like we remember yeah. the bad and we remember the good. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a lot of foster parents that burn out? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I, um, it's, there's not a system that supports foster families in a way that I feel like is very effective. You know, we're really um, at the very lowest priority level in a system like this because it's not about us, right? It's about mm-hmm. first the parents because that's the way the law is set up. Then hopefully about the child. <laughs> I hope so. Um, I feel like it should be the opposite way, but yeah. um, that's not the way the law is right now. Um, and then, you know, there's relatives and there's judges and there's social workers and there's, you know, licensing agencies, there's so many stakeholders, there's attorneys. Um, and then there's the foster family. Uh, and it's just, it's not about us. And so, you know, while there are a lot of training resources out there, I can say that you you can get licensed without very high quality training um, classes, you know, and it's at times you're you're kind of an afterthought in the system. You might be the last to learn something that's critically important to the child that you're caring for. You might, um, you know, have your child go through a very lengthy developmental assessment and not even get access to the results, even though you're trying to care for them because you don't have that mm-hmm. level of clearance related to privacy, right? Um, you might, really important things might happen in a court case that involves the the neglect or abuse of the child you're caring for, and you might not never hear about it because it's about the parents and it, they, they have a right to privacy, right? And so, so as a foster family, you're just like navigating this it's oftentimes a little blind and um, you're like just you know, <laughs> gathering every little crumb of evidence that you can to try to put together what you need to best support this child. Right. And, and that's exhausting. Um, you know, I think that I don't blame a foster family for, for saying, Hey, you know, she's, this is, this has gotten too hard and, and, you know, burning out. I hope that wouldn't happen. You know, if there's the community, the, our country needs more high quality foster families, um, which I think also means that there needs to be more systems in place to support families who are caring for the most vulnerable, the most oftentimes high need children in our entire community. 
right? Um, and so, so I'm a big advocate for that. And, um, and I try to offer my support anytime I know anybody who's interested, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get on the phone with them. I'll try to, um, whether it's, it's coach or mentor, or just listen to their struggles, uh, because, because it's, it's a really, um, I don't want to sound like it doesn't sound right to say, to say the word thankless job because it because it's so many rewards there's so many rewards in it mm-hmm. as well so I don't want to but say there's a lot of bureaucracy rewards. There, there's yeah there's just not a lot of system support <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's exactly yeah. a lot of bureaucracy and not a lot of um just understanding about the experience of of being a, a foster family yeah I think the problem is also, like you said, the priorities are confused. The priority is not the child, you know, it's the biological family. And what if the priority were the child and the foster family got as much support as the biological family, whichever way it goes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like just um, keeping that child's needs first and foremost, I think, is would be my advice for anybody who's working in the system. It's like, don't let, let the child fall through the cracks. May I ask you, Monica, um, how has fostering and adopting changed your life? Well, I mean, you know, I think I already mentioned it's just the, the most rewarding thing you can ever imagine. You know, like I've become a parent, like I would be, you know, we have a family, you know, like that's, you know, family's everything to me. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just given me in some, in some ways, just like being a new parent to a biological child, like it's just given me so much more love and joy and laughter and hard days, of course. And, you know, just busyness and, you know, fear and anxiety, like all the things, but it's just like expanded my heart and my scope of just working through the world. Right. That's, I think that's any parent. Um, but then by doing it through foster and adopt, you know, I feel like I, I've just really been challenged to grow and, and think about, um, how to meet people, how to meet children where they are, you know, how to be accepting in a way more, a, a more radical way than I ever understood before. Um, how, how to um, put my own, you know, needs aside so I can be there to best show up for, for this child. Um, it's also helped me feel way more connected to my community. You know, the children that we have, they're from this community um, you know, whether this county or neighboring counties. And so I feel like I'm a part of a village that's helping to to raise these children who are from here <laughs> who need homes. And so that that feels really rewarding. And, um, you know, it's it's become a big part of my identity. You know, I, I don't think that I went into this thinking that. I think I was like, you know, gonna, we were gonna become licensed, we were gonna foster, we were gonna adopt, and we were gonna just be a family, you know, with some adopted kids. Right. And I think that the, the, the way this journey turned where we've been, you know, a temporary home for a number of kids has really sort of shifted my identity as it relates to my family and, and, you know, what we look like and, and how we, how we change and, and evolve. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been huge for me. Well, I just wanted to say, Monica, I have so much respect for you, your wife, your family, 
And what I learned is that it, it just seems like, you know, fostering and, and adopting, I think that's the most powerful way we can have an impact on like a child, our community and our world. And I just wanted to thank you. Thanks, Michelle. That's really kind of you. And, and thanks for giving me the time to talk to you today. I really appreciate the generosity of your time. Thank you so much. Follow Dr. Michelle Choi on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks for listening 